Hi everyone, I am Iklavi Gupta, founder and CEO of Record Club. It's a fintech platform facilitating non-dilutive growth capital for companies mm. with predictable recurring revenues. It is a well-known fact that 90% of all startups fail. But a more interesting statistic is that only 10% of the startups fail in the first year and 80% of them fail after the first year. And one of the most common reasons is lack of funds. In this episode of the Founder Thesis Podcast, your host Akshay Dat talks to Eklavya Gupta, the co-founder of Record Club. Record Club is on a mission to solve the problem of access to funds for startups with predictable revenue streams. Traditionally, banks and NBFCs don't lend to loss-making startups. But Record Club is able to lend to even loss-making startups which have a recurring subscription revenue. Their secret sauce is in the deep tech integration that they are able to do with the borrowers which allows them to get better data for credit scoring and get high-velocity repayments. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming platform to learn about disrupting traditional business practices by making use of technology. You know, I just developed a great interest in both those fields. And I think that led me to do engineering from Delhi, from NSIT in Delhi. And when I went there, all the lives I had loved engineering and then I realized, oh, it's probably finance, right? Like after two years, Lehman crash in 2008. Mm-hmm. And that time I was in the middle of my undergrad engineering days, right? That started piquing my interest in finance to understand what's happening that is shaking the entire world, etc. right? And finance is also numbers, at least at the basic level till you go deep into mm-hmm. it, right? Like, so really liked it from get-go. And I think that was the journey mm-hmm. that I took. And post-undergrad, actually, I joined a financial investment firm called Nomura. It was an investment bank. That This is a Japanese... This is a Japanese investment bank. That's correct. Yes. So I joined their office in Mumbai. Nomura, what was your role? So in Nomura, I was working as a trader, a support role. Uh, so basically, okay. in the global capital markets, where I was working mm-hmm. on structured credit transactions, working on pricing, valuations, modeling mm-hmm. of trades that were to happen was primarily okay. working with APAC and EMEA regions there, Europe oh. and support mm-hmm. primarily with a lot of traders actively to price mm-hmm. and value their trades. Great experience, yeah. I think, because Nomura had just bought Lehman Brothers, their operations after the 2008 crisis. Oh, I didn't know that Nomura bought, bought out that. Okay, interesting. Yes, part of the business was bought by Goldman Sachs, part of the business mm-hmm. was bought by Nomura. So the UK and the APAC region was bought by Nomura. Right, mm-hmm. like, so whole lot of challenges after that, especially what they got into, right? A mammoth with a lot of problems. So yeah. great learnings for me, right? Because I could see a lot of those trades that were done previously, what went wrong, how are they course correcting their ways, etc. Mm-hmm. And in 2011, 12 in Europe, there was Greece crisis. There was a lot of credit crisis in Europe that started to happen. That, mm-hmm. That's been stretching mm-hmm. since then. So pretty great experience on the structured credit side, on the capital market side where I was. I was there for mm-hmm. two and a half years. Not play before I went to do my MBA. So then you went to IMCAL and post that, like where did you join from campus? So then I went to IMCAL. I did my uh, summer internship at Bank of America, right? Like at the the trading test, coming from a trading experience, right? Like, so I thought, wow, that's great, right? Like I've done the valuation part. Now I want to be the trader. That's the best life. I did my summer internship and I did like it. It's very monotonous at times, right? Like to be honest, it got to me in two months. It started becoming very monotonous. So I thought, I reflected back and saying that, do I want to do 
this for all my life, right? Like it's a big decision. Mm-hmm. While I love finance, I love working with those things. I chose a longer term financial investment. I went to Kotak from there. Okay. So I joined the Kotak alternative investments team where I was working with structured credit and special situations financial groups. So this was a fund structure, right? Like this was alternate investment funds. I think great experience. What is uh, structured credit? So like if you see about finance, right? Like there is equity, right? Like that you do. Mm. There is yeah. simple debt or credit mm. as you call it, right? Like which is a bank loan that, that all of us mm. see. But there is a middle kind of an instrument called mezzanine mm. debt or structured debt effectively, mm. which structures your payment flows, right? Like in a bank loan, they will say, I'll give you this, you give me a 10% interest rate, right? There are different ways to structure transactions. They will say, I will give you this much of moratorium. I will mm-hmm. give you based on your cash flows. I will finance you such that you pay 10% of your shareholding or revenues or whatever, right? Some of the other fancy structures they will put to make the transaction more lucrative for both the company and the investor, right? So and still you don't give away equity mm-hmm. and there could not be any security right like in a bank loan you would typically take collateral security and other mm-hmm. things in structured mm-hmm. loan there could be i'm not denying that there could not could not be there could be some kind of security package that comes along but mm-hmm. you know, that's an option that's that it's not a mandatory mm-hmm. thing it gives you a lot of flexibility basically so i went there i was at the desk for around two and a half three years right like mm-hmm. great experience Got mm-hmm. a chance to work with Uday Kotak directly as well on a couple of transactions, mm-hmm. right? Like, it was a brilliant experience, I would say. Learned a lot of inherent return of capital, the philosophy that Uday Kotak follows, right? In any financial investment business, return of capital being very important as compared to return on capital, right? Especially in a credit business, it's not an equity. If you have given 100 rupees to someone, right? You should ensure that first those 100 rupees will come back. Then see whether you are making uh, 50 rupees on 100 or 20 rupees on 100, right? So your return of capital is more important as an investor as compared to, you know, what returns you are generating. So he runs by that philosophy and I think so so does Kotak all across. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Kotak has not got any major exposure to all these like bank frauds and scabs and big blowups. They've been very selective. The culture was very different. Such a large organization, but I think... Still, the culture was very different from some other funds and organizations that I saw alongside. And from mm-hmm. Kotok, I moved to a company called Ivano Cambridge. It's a Canadian pension fund. So they manage around $360 billion of capital globally, right, across multiple mm-hmm. asset classes. Their APAC exposure was small but growing, right? So I was part of the APAC team when I started working with India and some of the Singapore-Australia transactions trade experience. So this now you're on the buy side. Kotak was like a sell side role. Kotak was also buy side. I was in, we were the investors there. Okay. You were representing buyers in Kotak. We were the buyers, right? Like, so we were the funds. I said, you were giving out money. You were the ones who were lending. And who would be on the sell side? There is investment banks in the sell side also, right? Like these would be banks who represent companies that need money. A lot of them, JP Morgan, City, mm-hmm. and a lot of boutique, small investment mm-hmm. bankers running like 10 member shops running. So pretty interesting. Then I moved to CDPQ. Like, so I went to Cambridge, basically. Mm-hmm. So CDPQ manages $360 billion, as I was mentioning. Right, of global capital. APAC was the primary growth center, one of the major group mm. growth centers for them. India team was just starting out, right? Like, mm. so I was heavily involved. I was the first three members in the India team. There was an MD, there was a senior director, and myself. It was a startup within such a big fund, right? Mm. Got an opportunity to work with who's in all of the world because it was big capital that we were managing. 
they were also buying structured credit products it was equity plus structured credit both okay uh, right like so even at kotak i started with structured credit but then i did both structured credit and private equity equity transactions there and then in when i moved to cdpq there the it was it continued to be both again you know equity plus structured credit so different structures right like an investor i think how people have started to think in the in today's world is as long as you can make good returns as hmm. proportionate to the risk right you should be open to adopting different strategies right. because the financial analysis at the core remains the same right hmm. what investment hmm. structure you put on top of it really determines how you want to do it and what is the best instrument to invest in etc okay okay got it okay so then what after cdpq so I was there for around 4 years right like so great journey i think met a lot of global folks understood a lot of global financial investment industry no. once again after nomura this was a very enriching experience we were lps in blackstone kkr's fund so a lot of big names 5 billion dollar plus worth transaction is what i was involved at cdpq alone in the whole then this idea came up of record club that i co-founded mm-hmm. right i think in one of my chats and meetings with my batchmates and a very good friend from i am calcutta he is more on the product and the tech side he was working with gartner and suddenly i was listening to a podcast and suddenly it struck me that a lot of these early stage saas companies and recurring revenue companies right like mm-hmm. have access to only equity capital mm-hmm. right and when i thought about my investment career my investment experience or working with structured credit funds you know and those kind of things that like, why is only equity available to them bank loan i understand is not available because they don't have any security but why not any other forms of capital right like when they have such strength and predictability in their revenues just because they are burning cash because of their low scale they don't get alternate capital right like so maybe i thought there is a big time arbitrage right like big arbitrage which could be exploited right and hence started to delve a little deep and discuss with uh, you know apinav was that of founder at record club about this idea and he resonated with the problem right he was working with a lot of saas companies then and said that's a real problem right like because a lot of them spend on their customer acquisition marketing you know software implementation upfront but the business model is that in subscription businesses or recurring revenue businesses you earn on a monthly or a quarterly basis right, right. so there is an inherent time arbitrage that builds in in these models which are these models are great these models are growing like you know they've grown like 20x in the last 5 6 years right like, so by time arbitrage you mean that you are spending today but you're getting the money the return on that spend after 3 months 6 months whatever so so there is that cash flow has yeah. different timings and that can be solved through a credit product exactly and this is not general working capital cycle like in mm-hmm. traditional businesses what used to happen you sell off something mm-hmm. and then to receive the money there is a payment lag mm-hmm. right so that is a working capital gap but mm-hmm. in these models what happens is you spend the money but even your revenue will come only after to 12 months in 12 months on a monthly basis mm-hmm. in these business models itself you add the working capital cycle on top of that working capital cycle is you generate an invoice for a revenue and then your payment is delayed right mm-hmm. that is suitable for traditional businesses for mm-hmm. a subscription businesses you get money upfront in fact the working capital is not that big a problem but i think a major problem is inherently the cash flow gap in the business models themselves mm-hmm. right and these businesses are great if you'll ask me right some of these recurring revenue businesses mm-hmm. it what it does if you think about it right from a company angle right and from an investor angle or from the buyer or the seller right? so the buyer of the service is uh, service is able to or product is able to manage his cash flows well mm-hmm. because it be out over a period of time like this company selling the subscription is actually also selling cash flow or credit here by 
charging a monthly subscription instead of annual or one time exactly right exactly it helps them a fast track sales hmm. b it helps them in long term retention of customers right you as a company become very customer focused and customer oriented because hmm. you have spent 100 dollars to acquire that customer right hmm. you can't let him pay just 10 20 dollars and go back so your inherent dna of the company changes hmm. and when you retain hmm. customers for a longer time it helps you to get larger lifetime value from a customer mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so hence even for the seller in the long run it is beneficial right mm-hmm. and that's why you see all, all the companies rather these days mm-hmm. right well, most of them shifting towards these models mm-hmm. so it's a win win for both buyers and sellers mm-hmm. but i think the problem for sellers is as you said right like cash flow gap that that gets degraded because of the hardware drudge that is something that they need to solve for basically which was being solved through equity by taking equity or yeah. by taking deep discounts at times which hurts them right if you think about it it reduces their valuation which are linked to revenues these days mm-hmm. for these companies because they don't have any positive ebitda etc mm-hmm. we said that don't do that guys what if there is a platform for you you come in keep on charging your customers 100 dollars on a monthly basis mm-hmm. come to us get it discounted through our platform mm-hmm. where you get you know money upfront but that your customer would have paid you over the next 12 months So whatever you would have gotten from a particular customer in the next 12 months, you get a fraction of that upfront, right? So it's basically like your customer has paid you upfront to bridge the time gap. Operational revenue is funding your operational expenses, right? It matches. It, it is. I think it's a perfect financial sense. It, it's efficient capital stack management to that extent, right? And if you can do that at maybe say 10% discount, 12% discount, 14% discount, right? Which is much lower than what they were doing or while mm-hmm. they used to give twenty five, thirty, thirty five percent discounts. The Azubos of the world, Kispers mm-hmm. of the world, even DDC subscriptions. They we've seen them giving thirty, forty percent discounts, right? And here they are getting at a ten, twelve percent discount through mm-hmm. our platform, which is great for them, right? They don't reduce their ARR, and hence they don't reduce their valuations. Still, they are able to better manage and bridge their cash flows. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have asked for better things, I would say. Right, interesting. So, how did you get this off the ground? Is this a regulated space? Like, do you need to be an NBFC to uh, offer credit in this format, or like, tell me about that? So, we don't offer credit. We are a tech platform, right? Like that is facilitating these kinds of financing, right? See, there are okay. multiple banks, multiple NBFCs, multiple credit funds, multiple mm-hmm. funds who want to. explore new opportunities right mm. uh, which are safe generate attractive risk adjusted returns so there is mm. no point going and becoming one of another finances right we want mm. to leverage technology where we source these transactions where we underwrite these transactions and where we service mm. these transactions right on behalf of particular lenders or investors that are there on the platform right okay so we smoothen and fasten the process right mm. like whatever was being done in 20 days gets done in 5 days right because all intermediate mm-hmm. flow is there and hence we don't need a license right like to answer your question mm-hmm. so uh, essentially you are like an aggregator plus uh, digitizing the workflow of making this lending happen yes faster and more intelligent way right like because okay. traditional financial institutions right like were not investing in this asset class this is completely mm-hmm. new type of companies so mm-hmm. to underwrite them you need a very different lens to so to create the tech based underwriting models and rating models that's mm-hmm. our core which helps investors understand what kind of risk return and unlocking them for them in an easy manner and simultaneously companies get access to them what is the way in which you do that underwriting like that is like the core value proposition of record club is that underwriting intelligence which you provide to 
the lenders, which would make them comfortable to actually let money. I mean, essentially, this is like a supply-led challenge, right? Like you need to build supply first. Demand will come because it's very compelling. I mean, any company with a subscription product would want to opt for this, but building the supply would be more challenging. So huh, what did you build to enable supply? Product suits so well. It's, it helps companies save equity and time. Those two things are the most precious things that any founder would have. If you go for a VC round, it takes at least nine to 12 months, mm. right? If not more end to end, right? Like, because first you'll prepare for it, you'll create pitch decks, mm. then you'll reach out to particular investors. Then some of them will reward, some of them will not reward. We'll do hundreds of meetings. Something will try and materialize. Then you will try and close with some few of them. Term sheets will get closed. Then DD and documentation starts. You know, it's a long process. It's a very long process, cumbersome process, and there's very limited access as well. Right? And with us, companies can use the tech platform and get cash in bank within 48 hours at times. So we integrate with companies invoicing software, financial software, right? financial management software like Tally, like Global, QuickBooks, then banking data, the company's bank statements or the net banking and other banking data that we get. Integrate like just to zoom in a bit on the, what is the invoicing software that a company uses for recurring invoices? A lot of them, right? Like Zoho is used a lot in India. Okay. Like Zero is used a lot in Singapore. So every state, every country has different versions. In India, people still use Tally a lot for invoicing. So you know, Tally works for this kind of a use case also, like to automate recurring, or, or they do it manually. Not optimum, yes. Hmm. Uh, you know, they do the, they do a lot of it manually as well. But I think it's also driven by who's doing it, right? Like people should be comfortable using that software. And a lot of CAs yeah. and financial hmm. advisors have been also well using Tally, right? Like hmm. so, and hence that for maybe if it's not the best, but and Tally offers like a API integration. Like as a Tally user, I can give you an API key which will allow you to integrate and get data yeah tally is a little different uh, because there is tally cloud and some of the tallies are on premise the legacy uh, tally. yeah the legacy yeah. tally you have to install a software on premise effectively okay. right yeah. so the tally cloud you can integrate but the on premise tally also you can integrate but there is a little extra effort rather than just providing the username password if it's on cloud okay. right like there are certain additional okay. keys and etc or the user id that needs to be entered in for us to access. So, and bank statement would be manual because I guess when you started that account aggregator framework was not there, right? Yeah, account aggregator framework wasn't there. Account aggregator still in India needs a lot of improvement. For personal banking, it is great. For corporate banking, it is not the best, right? Like for anyone who has multiple signatories, etc., that system doesn't work that well right now. I'm sure there are people working on it and hope that happens very quickly. So just for a quick 101 for our listeners. So account aggregator for individual works in this way where as an individual, I can authorize a financial institution, like say I'm taking a loan from Kotak, then I can authorize Kotak to look at my HDFC bank data and uh, I can revoke that authorization at a future date. So so this for individuals, you're saying is pretty smooth, but for corporates, this is not the case. Yeah, for corporates, because a lot of times there are multiple authorized signatories. And I think that is where the system feels right now. So there needs to be improvement for that. The system hasn't been developed to that level currently. Uh, but there are different ways, right? Like you can get access to the net banking, get banking data, so things like that. So there are different ways, not as efficient as account aggregation would be once it's implemented fully, but it's not that bad, to be honest. How do you treat all this raw data which you're getting? So you're getting accounting data on transactions happening, be it payroll, be it invoices, income, 
expenses, all of that. And you're also be able to verify it through the bank details, like the bank transactions. What do you do with this raw data? How do you crunch it? And what, so I think uh, those what are the financial models that we have made. We have two, three different models that we take into account. We hmm. score the company as well as to score the customers of the companies, right? Because we need to see yes. the recurring nature of their predictability of their revenues and other things, right? So that is very important for us as a business to evaluate. How do you score the customers? I mean, you pull up their civil score? No, there are multiple right. ways. I think that's the code that we've built in. We haven't kept it very simple. Like you would pull their financial statement from MCA or something like that. Things like that at times. Plus, we see their payment behavior, the size of the customers, the vintage of the customers, the recurring nature of those customers. So how many scores are generated for, like you might be generating multiple scorecards for each customer? Like Eventually, as an output, there will be one rating per customer, mm -hmm. right? Like So there will be one company level rating and for every company, depending on whoever customers they have, there will be different customer level rating. Suppose there is a SaaS company, right? So SaaS mm. company could have a double A rating, like a rating. Mm. And customers out there could have triple A, double A, double B, etc. Hence, their revenues of double A are also a mix of or an aggregation of all of those. Plus, we also go on and see their financial expenses and other cost metrics as well, right? Like Because while we finance predictable recurring revenues, but mm. the company should be able to run their company as well, right? Like it's not that they need to pay only money to us, right? Like so they need to manage their liquidity, etc. So all of that also comes into account. What are their gross debitor margins, receivable cycle, mm. growth rates, things like that. Basic financial analysis that we do. Then we do a lot of alternative data fetching as well at times, right? Like we scrape alternative data sources like LinkedIn, as MCA, PST. Mm. So there'd be like a culture rating based on LinkedIn Glassdoor reviews and all. There would be rating of customers of that company, which could get aggregated to a single score. And then there would be a rating on repayment ability in terms of can they afford to pay that out and still meet their expenses. And then there would be a predictability, like how predictable have the cash flows been like, or maybe the churn, I guess that would also factor in like you would be looking at yes the churn is also an important factor a very important factor one of the key factors rather right like so the growth rate the gross margin the churn rates are very important right like in, in any business to that extent especially in recurring models recurring revenue models which becomes the core but a lot of other things right like like pf details for employees a lot of legal civil legal cases if there are such things or not that we pull Decibel score, multiple things that come up, right? Like so it's a quite comprehensive model considering their financial metrics, their mm. operational mm. metrics, their compliance mm. legal metrics, mm. plus mm. their track record or the past performance, mm. plus mm. the cultural or the softer angle, the employees yeah. and other things. Tell me about the first deal you did. Which company was it? How many days did it take you to build this kind of a report? And how is that report compared to the report we generate today? And who was the funder for that first deal you did? Obviously, it has <coughs> drastically changed since then, right? Uh, I think this was last August when we launched to do end-to-end -end analysis. So the first transaction that we evaluated, that is very interesting, I would say, right? Like all that data is coming in we because we were parallelly building our financial models, putting in some ad hoc. I think it took us at least 25, 30 days to do that. To look at it and reject it, right? Just as an open manner, because you have to go and check right. each and everything manually, right? So it was a media tech company, basically, right? Like based out of Delhi, they had around three and a half million dollars of ARR, growing very well. It was venture capital back. There was a lot more comfort in terms of their financial positions and an institution back them, et cetera, right? 
So uh, it took us 22 days, but I think what the founder said, right, like after we financed them, that your model is truly amazing because he was looking for equity as well at that point in time, right? And he realized that if we can give them a million dollar, right, like for example, we did not at that point in time, it was a small 100K, $100,000 transaction. But if we could give them like a million dollar as we scale, right, like based on their business, currently on three, three and a half million dollars, they would love it, right? They don't want to value equity at all at this stage, right? Like maybe when they go to a $10 million is what when they think about doing equity. Mm-hmm. And it came from them that I am using my operational revenue for spending in my operational expenses. And hence, I always use that line till date because it's come from the first customer who really understood and valued, showed a lot of patience as well, right? With us, to be honest, our processes were broken. Yeah, uh, things were broken. So they obviously we didn't charge them anything. As our fees, we didn't charge them anything naturally, and that okay. uh, it was building that out. But I think it was a great experience. And I think since then, right, like that company has grown from three, three point two million dollar ERR to what around fifty gross, around seven and a half million dollars. So okay. in the last 12, 13 months, they have grown 120% almost in their ERR without diluting, right? Like they have raised an equity round now at reaching seven and a half million because they wanted around $15 million capital, right? So they took 10, 12 million dollars of equity and two, three million dollars from us. Well, our solution perfectly complements equity. For certain companies, we are not replacing equity. I think that is very important to understand and see because say if your ERR is in this example, $7 million, max our models can fund you is three and a half million dollars, 50% of your ERR. Which also seems very high because for a company to like give out half of its earning each month to pay back the loan would be pretty difficult. 100%. 100%. And hence it depends on the financial metrics, etc. Hmm. So theoretically it can be 50%, but it depends on your financial metrics, right? I'm saying best case we can give like a three and a half million dollar to a company, right? Like to a gold mine company that we have, for example, right? Hmm. But uh, companies may need more cash for their current expansion. They are entering a new geography. They are entering a new product. They're creating a new product. They need to spend much more today. So hence, and which will always happen with a lot of high growth companies, right? So we say complement equity with our kind of capital. Use equity to enter into new geographies, to start a new product, to do, do more R&D, where the actual payback period is long or the outcome is uncertain. But where you know your outcomes are certain, you need to spend X rupees on your distribution channels and you generate Y rupees from them, right? Like using equity is foolhardy. Right? Like you should not. Large companies also complement equity with multiple forms of capital, right? Like uh, so, if that is being made available to you, companies should use it. No, it's a no-brainer. I would say for companies, and I think companies are realizing that the advantages they get of doing it. I take a simple example, right? Company today does their equity rounds, dilute 20, 25 odd percent. Realizes that they are five percent in shareholding after four, five rounds. Let's say they become yeah. a unicorn. 3% in every round, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. right? And they mm-hmm. delay their dilution. If they were doing a round every two years, they do every three years, right? A, they save one round over the next mm-hmm. 10 years, right? Like, or two rounds mm-hmm. maybe. And B, they save percentage dilution in every round. So they are broadly saving 15 odd percent of equity, 15 to 20% equity, mm-hmm. all right? The company has still become a unicorn. And it's mm-hmm. the founders, shareholder, the network that they save. So it's 150 yeah. 200 million dollars of initial shareholders, founders, network that has been mm. saved because of this. The company yeah. has still reached where it had to. There is venture debt yeah. or there used to be venture debt. What is the difference? Uh, what is venture debt? Just help our listeners understand. 
the various types of debt available to a startup like if you could talk about that sure so i think obviously equity i'll not because equity is the most common form then came in venture debt typically which was accessible to companies who have raised equity capital right okay how venture debt works is they will charge you a fixed coupon plus they will charge what you what do you mean by coupon here so they will charge you a fixed rate of interest let's say for simplicity okay. right if they give you 100 rupees and they charge you 50% rate of interest they will say give me 15 rupees right basically plus they will say that 10 to 15% of my investment which is 10 to 15% of 100 that's it mm-hmm. 12 and a half right uh, so 12 and a half percent of 100 which is 12 and a half give me as equity shares which are called mm-hmm. warrants so basically what is happening is they are saying i pay you 100 right let's assume it's a one year transaction for simplicity mm. sake right you pay me 115 back in one yeah. year so 15% yeah. plus yeah. you give me equity worth 12 and a half rupees or oh, that's over and above those are the kind of returns that you end up being there was no option right like, there was no option to companies they and this is only accessible to companies who had raised equity right this is not available to every company because the valuation discovery has happened if you've raised equity exactly right so venture debt has no use case if revenue based financing is fairly prevalent and easy to access you tell me why if you know your company is doing well decently well mm-hmm. oh good company would want to take venture debt yeah. and investors don't want yes. to fund bad companies so there would be no transactions right mm-hmm. basically if you think about it right okay did you need funds initially because initially you were doing it all manually right you may not have needed not that much from not that much just to build the product parallelly we wanted some capital so we had bootstrap we had put in me and founder of us had put in some money in the business to grow it to build the minimum viable product by the mvp that we call right to get it up to a particular level in the first 3 4 months and by august we were able to do the first transaction the beauty was we did the first transaction also through the product a lot of people do it offline and we feel good about it and i think thanks to abhinav comes from that bent of mind totally different directions from where i think mm-hmm. right like so it's perfect perfect complementary and skill set that we bring and we were able to do the first transaction with a proper investor on board with the company saas company that we wanted detailed financial analysis how did you source the lending partners like through like cold calling and using your network and all so my network side worked on a lot of like the investment industry yeah, so it yeah. right like so i think mm-hmm. i know them first hand i just call them up I called fifty of them, twelve of them showed interests, for example, right? Like, and two of them started business. So that's how it works. And people have realized people have gotten good returns as well, right? Like, right, it's, right, right. because we are not making significant returns on this transaction because we want to build this as an asset class first, right? Follow as we scale. It's, it's been I think pretty good that way. And how did you source deals? I think deals was more of cold calling, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. more outbound sales initially. Right. right, 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 and you essentially target SaaS companies because, like, recurring revenue to me equals SaaS. Is there anything else besides SaaS? So SaaS is obviously a great business, right? Like an obvious choice for recurring revenue. But I think there are a lot of other recurring revenue businesses. Like, what is recurring revenue? I think very important to understand something that is predictable and has low churn in their payment behavior because you are predicting a behavior trend right here. So, which is what subscription businesses do. that mm-hmm. you see a behavioral trend that someone is paying month over month and hence stickness and mm-hmm. hence solid financial sense mm-hmm. right it take also like baijus has 
monthly installments yes monthly monthly payments right like mm-hmm. a lot of logistics tech platforms if you think right which get ah, their okay. businesses from amazons right. or the world parts of the world right month over month mm-hmm. they do so like coming back to the product now like you told me first deal took about 20 25 days and so how is it evolved to today like today how much time does it take and how much richer is your data insights that you derive out of it which you present to the investor what does the investor see does he get like a detailed report or does he get a single score or like tell me a bit about the product part so i think because that we have finances 3 days end to end the company right mm-hmm. like i think we give them the limits within couple of hours of them syncing the data right for for the startup they would be like a guided journey with a wizard telling them okay now integrate with tally this is how you do it and so on 100% 100% right mm-hmm. plus there is obviously we are at an early stage so there is was someone one manual customer support like, as well to help them okay. but we have done it all through with one operations team person mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. because we don't want to create manual intervention manual things right. at all just want to keep right. it as automated as possible and then there is sort of kyc documents that most of the companies would have ready they submit that and then you get the money basically so i think that does it like then appear for all the buyers that this opportunity is available once we create that customer profile right like which is a provide to us there is a base base profile that is shown to different uh, you know institutional investors on the platform Hmm. and there are certain strategies within which they want to lend and invest in it is shown to relevant investors on the platform Hmm. and Hmm. then they bid for it right all of them get their best price so that's why it is an exchange that i call everyone gives their best price and the company on the other side only sees hmm. the best price and the price here would be the interest rate price here is the discount or what is okay right okay. when you talk about like 100 dollars every month right hmm. they were giving 25% discount to get 900 dollars hmm. here someone could say 10% discount hmm. so 90 cents to a dollar or 91 cents to a dollar or 89 cents to a dollar right okay. basically So if I'm mm. saying ninety cent to a dollar, that means I'm paying ninety percent into twelve hundred, which mm. is one thousand eighty today, mm. right? And mm. the balance twelve hundred, which is hundred rupees every month, is mm. passed on to the investor on a monthly basis. What parameters do investors see, which would cause them to give a better pricing? Like they would see one would be a, like a centralized collated score, like a record score. Yeah. What is a record score that that they see naturally, right? Mm-hmm. Second mm-hmm. is their payment history, the collection, the payment track record on the record platform, okay. things okay. like that. C is their growth rates, the other financial okay. metrics after we have they have financed what has been mm-hmm. the performance. Mm-hmm. Okay. The company has so many bids at an average mm-hmm. price of this, then you choose, right? Okay. I want the best price current. The best price currently is ninety cents. You want this deal? Pay higher. right so within a particular window right like so it's mm-hmm. basically a live auction that's been created for the investors okay and i'm guessing this would also be done with like a client success manager because i'm sure a lot of these nbfcs would not be in the habit of regularly logging it to check what deals are on and off or 100% right like so there are automated systems that's done not only through a client success manager but there are automated systems that's been done there are notifications that go to them Okay. Uh, you know etc mm-hmm. but there is assistance required right like mm-hmm. they, those guys are you know obviously we are very small portion of their entire businesses for large institutions yeah. Yeah. so we need yeah. to yeah. take that into account and be practical and not expect them to do whatever we want them to do right mm-hmm. like uh, at least as of now and how does the money flow is it flows through you or it goes directly to the startup or? we have created like a payment infrastructure 
right, which facilitates that payment, but it doesn't hit to us. Right? It goes directly from the investor to the company, basically. But it is facilitated by us. How do you connect the payment? Like that would be through a NACH uh, NACH mandate. And NACH mandate, so there are payment gateway splits or something like that. The repayment is a fixed amount or a percentage of revenue? Like if I borrow $1,000 uh, and or let's say I borrow $900, I got a $0.90 cents to the dollar rate and I borrow $900 and I'm supposed to repay then fixed $100 every month or is it a percentage of my revenue every month? It's a fixed number because you are financing your customer's cash flows after a discount. And hence, what it does is you are not penalized for your growth. If you pay a percentage of revenue and if you're a fast growing company, imagine paying yeah. equal to a growth rate as your KPR is yeah. very high. Um, so this lets the growth be with the companies. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, and what is your fees? How do you earn? So we charge a small percentage of fee, right? Like from both sides, from the investor and the company for the transaction. Uh, that percentage varies from transaction volumes and values and things like that. What do you earn? Like maybe what will you earn this year? What do you estimate your this year revenue will be like? Or So it's growing very fast. I think so I can give you high level numbers that we have around 1000 plus companies registering with us hmm. currently in the last 12 months. We have financed close to around 250 companies by the platform. These companies have a cumulative annual recurring revenue of around $450 million, um, mm. uh, which is list- which was listed on the platform. Mm. Our financing mm. limits on average were around 15% so around the $70, $65, $70 million is what we have financed through the platform and a small percentage fees, right? Like a couple of percentage points just to give you my order of magnitude. That is where we are. We're very fortunate to get great supply side partners right early on in our journey. Who, who are your supply side partners? A lot of them, like the Villa Finance, Integrity Group Capital, a couple of other smaller NBFCs. Mm. There are people, family offices that we work with. Mm. So there are a lot of different channels to that. Mm. Wanting to add more and more, right? Like more liquidity gets better pricing for companies. It's a win-win yeah. for yeah, parties, yeah. right? Like so, that's the proposition. Mm-hmm. We act as a financial advisor to them at multiple places. Mm-hmm. You should not misprice this. I think that's the biggest learning mm-hmm. that I've seen, even in my past experiences. Because mm-hmm. these are cycles, right? These are macro cycles. Some of them are up cycle, down cycle. In down cycle, this hurts badly. That hurts really badly if you misprice risk in mm-hmm. the right time. So, yeah. This year, how much do you think you'll disperse? Like, so we have deployed close to around sixty million dollars this year till date. I think we'll be close to around 80-85 million dollars by end of the year. And your earning would be about 2-3% of this, the dispersed amount? Well, a little lower than that. It's not that high. Like it, it will be a little lower than that, yeah. But you don't have significant costs to it because you don't need a big team here you, because this is purely tech first kind of a product so you can run with a very lean team and once we run our or get our gtm in motion to be honest right like i think that is where some of the our cost is employee cost right mm-hmm. we are a tech business 80 yeah. percent of our yeah. cost is employee cost yeah. our 60 percent of the team is product and tech right? yeah. Yeah. we are a yeah. team, team. Mm-hmm. 26 27 people are product and tech Right, like almost 55% yeah. of the team. We have two people in operations, as I said, right? Like, so it's a very lean team on that side. Yeah. And as we sort out our GTM more and more, right? Like we will not need too many hands on ground to mm-hmm. scale this mm-hmm. up. And that's the beauty. So I'm curious about this. Most other revenue-based finance companies have raised a lot of money, like 20 to $50 million range. Why is that? And you have raised, I think, $2 million so far, equity? Yeah. 
So I think a lot of that is a mix of equity and debt. And a lot of people initially did a lot of financing from their equity because they were not able to build that supply side at times or they thought it mm-hmm. was a class at times, right? So mm-hmm. they, they did a lot of financing through their own equity. But in your case, I'm guessing you don't need to because it's a high margin business. It's You don't really need to burn money to get customers. Like there's no customer acquisition cost as such. And It's very low. There is to some extent, obviously, but it's mm-hmm. significantly low. So our margins and our cash profits are quite good from mm-hmm. that point. And after a point in time, I think that everything goes well. I think business would be self-sustainable. But obviously, we plan to add multiple product lines as well as we grow, right? This is just one stream of mm-hmm. product that we have. There are thoughts in place to be like a true one-stack financial suite for the companies, right? Like rather than just being saying add a lot of other value-add features to the companies. You like what's on the roadmap? Like, like financial insights, helping them manage their financial statements, MISs, etc. Give them primary benchmarking across multiple companies that we see, which can be actionable insights for them, right? What does that mean? What kind of benchmarking would this be? So their financial metrics, their financial metrics, so like, like their margin compared to margin of other, other companies in that range, that sector, in that size mm-hmm. range, that things like that. All of that coming into the picture. Okay. This is a way to ensure stickiness. Like they don't come to you just for that one time transaction when they need funds. But since you're giving them financial insights, they would have a reason to engage on a more regular basis. Yes, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. Plus, it's like a bank, right? Like you go to a bank, you get 100 mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, you don't need to go to 200 places. Mm-hmm. I think that's the philosophy with which we'll build this up as we scale. So you, you want to launch a credit card also? Let's see. Way too early, right? Like while it sounds pretty good, I'll keep on discussing it with my team as well. But every small product has its own nuances, right? Like so we don't want to overdo ourselves as well. We're also a very young company, right? Like so we need to time it right rather than getting into everything at the same time. But if things go well, then why not? Right, like that's a value add addition that one can get into, and we'll probably do it through multiple partnerships. Right, a lot of subscription businesses took a big hit when the RBI regulation on recurring payments through credit cards was implemented, and a lot of recurring payments failed. And did you observe those kind of trends with your customers? Like, tell me some of those mega trends which you might have observed because you work with so many companies in subscription business. So, yeah, I think that was more D2C driven. There was a smaller credit card payments, more on auto mode. So there was more okay. D2C business there where any we were not working. So our business were not affected. But I think a lot of D2C subscription businesses saw a lot of challenges, right? Credit card payments stopped. So a D2C subscription business would be like, say, uh, like an entertainment OTD platform. Like yeah. an OTD platform, right? But I think that's catching up. Mm. It's catching up mm. for sure. I've seen a lot of people saying that venture rate is 15%. Yeah. That is so cheap, 14%. Mm-hmm. But they don't, they miss that warrant part, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Smartest and the smartest people will just yeah, say, oh, yeah. what? Like, <laughs> then do equity only. <laughs> if that's the thing, then do equity only, right? Like we are saying, yeah, so what? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in. 